I just wanted to do things that spoke to me, that were fun, that I dreamed about doing. Like doing a sneaker with Nike, my own silhouette, designing it with the designers in the room and going to it from its origin all the way to the release date. Like that's something you know, I only dreamed about doing. Welcome to season two of Needing Dough, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. I'm Andrew Hawkins, your host. I also go by Hawk. And it feels good to be back for a new season of Needing Dough, the podcast. Typically, I'm here to guide you all through the extended versions of the conversations had on the Needing Dough video series featuring uninterrupted CEO Maverick Carter. But today, we're going to kick off season two with our mini series, Branching Out. Now, in Branching Out, we have open conversations with athletes who have moved on from their sports careers to create new paths and find all sorts of surprising success. And what's special about this edition? Well, we focus on the financial foundations. So we invite wonderful folks who have raised the athletes and taught them about money early on. Our guest today includes someone who seems to be making all the right moves after his sports career and the woman who helped make it all possible. Now, before we get started with this conversation featuring former NFL wide receiver Victor Cruz and his mother Blanca, Make sure you subscribe to Needing Dough on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's fast, it's free, and it helps support the show. As a kid, Victor was raised in an environment that made his mother super cautious. He grew up learning Taekwondo and dreamed about becoming a pro basketball player. However, through his high school coach's influence, he pivoted to playing football and eventually received a full scholarship to a Division I university. But his road to superstar receiver didn't come without his challenges. From academic struggles and going undrafted to injury, his mother Blanca, through guidance, care, and some tough love, made sure he was always equipped to bounce back. And later, Blanca's influence turned him into a Super Bowl champion. In this live conversation, which took place at the newest Chase flagship in Manhattan, New York. Victor and his mother Blanca take us through every point of Victor's illustrious football career and the crucial financial lessons Blanca taught him along the way. So first off, thank you guys for joining us here today. Of course. And I think we're gonna start right at the beginning. You grew up in Patterson, New Jersey. What, what was that like for you? Um, well, I grew up in Patterson, New Jersey. That's with one T, if anybody's wondering. I spelled it with two T's. He cussed me out before we yep. got up here. Yep. Him and I his did. brother. It's okay. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it was a rough neighborhood. And, and I remember certain things growing up, obviously going through. I went to private school from, uh, from about first grade to third grade. And then my mom moved. And, we, and then I ended up in a public school from fourth grade to eighth grade. And even ninth grade, too, it was a public school. Um, Prior to that, had, did you not realize you were in a rough part? Because I grew up, like I said, you, know, you come from rough parts of the town or you, uh, you grew up in tough situations. You don't really realize it at first. It's just a way of life. So did you not realize it until that point? At all. It was up until that point where I realized it. Obviously, you see certain things, but you think, like you said, you think that's normal. You think, yeah. you know, guys on the corner, you know, selling drugs and doing things like that is normal. You think, you know, you become friends with them. You go to school with their younger brothers and their younger siblings and you might even know them because right. they're around. They're in the house when you come over and things like that. So, you know, a, a lot of it was just day to day. You know, right. we didn't think anything of it. And, and Ms. Blanca, for you raising him in Patterson, right. like what was that like for you? 
Well, it, um, it wasn't easy, but what I did with Victor was um, I kept him busy with sports so mm-hmm. that he wouldn't. That's probably why he doesn't know about what, what was going on a lot in the streets <laughs> because I decided that I didn't want him to, be, to get caught up in the streets. So what I did was I just started involve, you know, involving him in sports. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Taekwondo, as soon as he turned seven, he started, you know, he, I enrolled him in Taekwondo. And then, you know, then it came basketball. So it was mainly Taekwondo and basketball. So, you know, and other than that, most of the time I kept him with me. Yeah. So he really wasn't really out too much. So, you, so people you were like, Vic did karate, like Taekwondo? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> So that and was that like was pretty you, good too. That you focused on that, like that was a you knew you had to keep him out of trouble yes. to give him the best opportunity. Right. I I I vowed that I didn't want him to get caught up in the streets. So my my goal was just to keep him as busy as possible so that he wouldn't even think about hanging on a corner or getting mm-hmm. involved with anyone who did drugs or or anything like that. And my my parents helped me out a lot too. That's amazing. So, I mean, it's. You, you hear people talk, especially athletes and people involved in sports, of how sports change their lives in that way. And obviously for a guy like Victor Cruz, an all-pro receiver, he says sports changed my life. Yes, it did. But there's, there's kids all over the country who use sports early on that don't end up going to play college sports or professional sports that sports provided the same outlet for. It kept them out of trouble, and it, it gave them kind of a safe haven. For you, Vic, what was your first memory of playing sports? My first memory of playing sports, well, I have different – memories for for different sports right so uh, for karate or taekwondo just so i'm the proper term is taekwondo um <laughs> i just remember the test the biggest thing for me was every three months there's a test and if you're eligible if they if our sir deemed us eligible to test out and go to you know to your next belt level whether it was yellow green high yellow whatever the case may be you had to be good you had to have shown that you were like a promising you know, Taekwondo artists so that you would continue to move up the ranks. Right. So that was like my thing. Like every three months I was like, let's check the list out. Yep, I made it. Like, you know, like you were like excited to be a part of that and excited to have my my attributes and my athleticism be on display. I always wanted to do that. And we did this thing where I would like jump over like five or six people and break this wood. I can go on for hours, but I'm going to keep on going. But football was a special one for me because my first football memory. Hold on, hold on. Before you go to football, what, oh. what belt did you get to in, in Taekwondo? I got to black belt. I was you the, were black belt? I was the youngest black belt on the East Coast at the time at 12 years old. No big deal. Humble brag. Youngest black belt on the East <laughs> and then, Coast. But the, I'm going to add it to the Wikipedia page. Give it up for that. that. Give right. it up for the youngest black belt on the Thank East Coast. You. But the, the, best part, the best part of it all is right after, I was like, Ma, I'm going to high school. I can't be doing karate. Like, I can't be, <laughs> can't be the karate guy in high school. Like, I'm going to get karate killed. Thick. So that's when we transitioned to like more basketball, football, and like yeah, other sports. cooler sports, cooler sports. All right. So your earliest football memory. <laughs> um, so my earliest football memory. Side note: My mother never came to any of my little league games until the championship game because well, you have she to was. Tell them why. You got to earn it. No, you have to let you them tell know. them why. Right. So um, I was I was terrified of him playing football <laughs> because every time I watch football on TV, it just looked terrifying. <laughs> So his father was the one that actually involved him in football. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was like, I'm not going to go to any games. I, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to see him play football. She was like, that'll be y'all thing. That's, y'all that's your play. thing. That's your thing with him. So I don't, I don't want to get involved. But it turned out he was very good at football at a young age. And um, it was like a big game you were having, right? Yeah, so it was, the, it was um, one of the first games that I played. And I was playing 
Um, and my brother was sitting right here. He can attest to this. I was playing center. <laughs> Remember this? <laughs> I was playing center, and um, our father, who was one of the coaches uh, of the team, he was one of the assistant coaches, and obviously they were all firemen, so they knew each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and they worked together, and they had a great uh, you know, relationship with each other. And I maybe did two series at center. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm snapping the ball. I'm just looking around, keeping these guys in front of me. <laughs> and then my father begs the head coach, and he goes, Put him at running back for one play. Give him the ball. See what he can do. If he trips on his own shoelace and falls on his face, then he'll never have to play that position again. We'll put him back at center. <laughs> it is what it is. So they put me back in the next series. I get the handoff. I, like, shake two guys, and I go 65 yards for a touchdown in the first carry. And I'm just, like, head back. No form. Just, like, <laughs> head back. You know, just nothing but, but elbows and, and kneecaps. Um, and I got to the end zone, and I just remember feeling, like, this elation. Like, did you hit like, a salsa dance? I did not. do The, the salsa dance had not been okay, birthed it wasn't, yet. All right. That that I probably should have done it at that <laughs> That age, would have been a legendary story. It would have been le- that video would have been magical. Um, but I distinctly remember celebrating with my teammates as they were running towards me because I was 65 yards away. And I remember seeing my dad, like, in the coach's face, like, I told you, I told you, like, from a distance. I'm 60 yards away watching him jump in this head coach's face. And then, safe to say, I never played center uh, ever again after that. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. That's amazing. So you, now you're playing football. Was it your first love? Was football your first? Because for me, I thought I was going to the NBA. No, you couldn't tell me that I wasn't going to be a point guard for okay. the, in the so NBA. So we were the same there. Yeah, we were right. definitely the same. You Basketball think I'm short now, first. Vic? You should have seen me at 12. <laughs> Ball was bigger than you. I, I could have did backflips <laughs> under that chair. <laughs> oh, man. But basketball was definitely my first love. I thought I was going to be a basketball player. And it took um, my high school football coach, Coach Benji Wimberly. He came up to me. I'll never forget it. My, I think it was my sophomore year of high school when I had transferred over. And he came up to me. And he was like, you know, uh, they give out double the amount of scholarships in football than they do in basketball, right? I kind of looked in the mirror and I was like, I'm about 5'11 and some change. I'm going to give this football thing a shot because <laughs> it doesn't look like I'm going to be 6'6 anytime right. soon. So I started to play basketball. I continued playing basketball, but then I played football my junior year of high school. Um, and then it just kind of took off from there. That's but amazing. Let, let's not forget that um, you used to dunk while you were playing basketball, too. Talk about it, Mom. Talk <laughs> about it. No, I did. He I played mean, well. I was he pretty good. Well. She loved basketball. I, I was going to say, it basketball. sounds like you wanted him to play I basketball. Did. Yes. I did. Yeah, I she did. She loved coming to the game, sitting just like that at the front row, <laughs> um, and watching us play and win. And, and it, those were fun times, though. We had a good time. We had. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play with Division One athletes like Marquise Webb, Darrell Watkins, all guys that have gone to play professionally. Um, and, and it was it was a really fun time. That, that's why her face lit up when we said basketball. <laughs> but I, I learned to love football eventually. I, I, you better have. <laughs> so is this the first time in your life where you were like, okay, football, I could probably take this somewhere? Yeah, I think it was after my junior season in high school um, where I started playing football, and the game was kind of coming very easy to me. Like I was mm-hmm. just – I was playing both sides of the ball, cornerback as well as wide receiver, and I was just like making plays all over the field, and it just felt like it was coming easy. And, right. and I was like, it was in that moment, my end of my junior year, and I was like, I think, um, I think I can do something with this. Like, I really feel confident that this could be something that will a not only pay for my college and pay for my education, but maybe even take me to the next level, maybe even beyond. And I felt that like in high yeah. school. So for you, Ms. Blanca, like, what are some of the lessons you wanted him to learn like, growing up? 
Well, um, I wanted him to, be, besides I didn't want him to, to get caught up in the streets, I wanted him to learn, to learn what it was to be responsible mm-hmm. and to, um, you know, just to, to know how to, how to be responsible with his money and just be a responsible person. Right. So that's why I used to have him do a lot of chores at home. Oh, so, man. so what were some of the financial lessons you would teach him growing up? Um, well, what we used to do is um, when, I, when I used to get paid, I used to take him with me to the bank. And he used to, you know, see me do transactions, put money in the bank. Cause, you know, I didn't have, you know, direct deposit back then. Mm-hmm. So he used to come to the bank. I used to always take him with me everywhere anyway. Yeah. So he used to come and he used to watch me deposit money and, you know, put money in Christmas clubs. And I would talk to him about the bills that we have and everything. So he was pretty, pretty much knowledgeable about, always, about how the finances were, were being taken care of. And I would always ask questions. I think the biggest thing for me and even just for kids today about banking, it, it may sound like it's confusing and difficult and only for adults, but I would just ask a bunch of questions and it kind of made me understand it kind of at an earlier age, mainly because seeing my mom, you know, going through it every day, going to the bank, coming home, getting her you know, doing her checks and balances on, on her money every month, all these, you know, massive amounts of papers on the desk. And I'm just like, Ma, what is all of this? Like, why do, yeah. do we need all of this? Don't we just pay somebody to live here and we're good? Like, why right, do we right. need all of What is all of this? <laughs> so she would really school me on, like, what it was and, and how to do that. And for her to do that, especially, you know, coming from her mother who came here from Puerto Rico not knowing any of that stuff. Right. So she taught herself how to do it and then in turn taught me, which was... I think kudos to you, Ma, for even understanding how that all worked and how important that was and transferring it over to your children. Well, you- yeah, I, I, I think it was great that I, I, I started working for a bank like when I was in my 20s mm-hmm. and working at a bank, working at a, a customer information center, I was, we were like always verifying new accounts that were being opened. And so with that, I learned a lot about banking, about saving, about investing. I, you know, I, I, I learned and I, I knew kind of like what we had to do. And I knew I had to, I had to budget and focus on money because if I didn't, then we would have been in the streets. So I had to be very serious about, about budgeting my money and, and, and staying focused and not just, you know, spend like crazy. And were you very transparent with Vic about like, what the finances were, how oh, they yeah. worked, or were you kind of shielded from, hey, mom's having a tough time, but she's, she's making it work? I think she always was transparent with me. My mother, she had a plan. Like, she knew we were never, uh, you know, we lived check to check, but she made sure that, like, okay, this is a, an allotted amount so we can keep a roof over our heads. Right. This is an allotted amount for the food. Mm-hmm. This is what we got to, you know, to our leisure, our luxury money, whatever we want to do with that. And most of the time she was saving that so we can go on a trip or have money for, you know, Christmas time and things of that mm-hmm. nature. So right. she was very specific on how she was delegating the funds. Yeah. How, that's, a, that's a good point. How would you handle like holidays or, or things? Because like I said, growing up for me, we didn't have a bunch. Um, and one thing for my mother that she would always go above and beyond to try to make us feel like we were the same as the other kids who had a lot more. Like, so for Christmas right. time, you know, she couldn't get us all a bunch of gifts, but she would save up literally all year for like a Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Right. And we would all share it and we could go to school and talk about Nintendo like the rest of the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't realize at the time, but now on this side, you see how important that saving is because that money uh, could have went somewhere else at a time when we didn't have much. Exactly. Right. And 
You can talk about your so, Christmas so, so what I did when I started working at the bank, I started learning about having a Christmas club. And so um, at the beginning, you know, you, you, know, you can uh, open up a Christmas club and you're like, can, you can get, get $500 a year if, if you put $10 a week away. And then, you know, you're like, okay, you could do $20 and you get $1,000 a year. So that clicked in my brain. I'm like, okay, well, I can do that. And so I started, in my 20s, I started opening up a Christmas club every single year, every single uh -huh. year. And then when I had him, I was like, okay, well, that's perfect because that's how I can, you know, buy his Christmas gifts and his clothes. And, and that, that's how I did it. And I, I had a Christmas club from my 20s all the way in, until he got into the league. And I, I was like, okay, I don't think I need this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I remember yeah. it too. I remember being like, all right, Ma. Let's break that Christmas club out. Like, I know, I know, I know already. Like, how much we got this year? She'd be like, get out of my face. What are you doing? Uh, but I would know about the Christmas club because, like, as a kid, especially as, like, a preteen, 11, 12 years old, you know, you know, you know where the money's coming from for, for your gifts. Like, so right. you wanted to make sure that you were on top of that. So I was the kid that was like, all right, mom, did you, how much you put in your Christmas club this year? We got to be straight. <laughs> we good? We yeah, good on the Christmas good. club money? I need that PlayStation. You know what I mean? But that's amazing. I mean, it's the old saying that when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And mm -hmm. you seem like an incredible planner. And it makes sense. Just now, many of you and knowing Vic, it like is very indicative to the career that he's had and the way he's been able to maximize his opportunity as an athlete. Yeah, and it's just been, you know, I give a lot of the credit to another thing that my mom taught me was never quit was never to quit on anything, no matter what's going on, no matter what happens, no matter what trials and tribulations you may go to go through, just never quit. No, never yeah. be a quitter. You don't never want to be known as a quitter. I don't care if it's up to the very last moment and you quit, you'll always be known right. as a quitter. And that never escaped me. Like, yeah. if I'm going to start something, I'm going to see it all the way through. And, I, and because of Taekwondo and, and obviously having Puerto Rican women in my household to <laughs> keep me in line... <laughs> Like, because of those two things, it allowed me the discipline to play football, to read a playbook, to, mm -hmm. you know, read lines or remember things like that for a commercial set. So whatever, like that discipline that I learned in the household as well as, you know, those early sports helped me kind of, you know, build this, this path that I've been a part of right. um, and been building for, you know, since I was born. Right. Okay, so you, get a, you eventually get a full scholarship to UMass. Mm -hmm playing uh, Division One football, in your mind, there's always two kind of athletes when you play college football. And <laughs> there's the kind that is like- Especially yeah, at UMass. Especially at UMass. There's, especially once I go to the, the next level too, you're either the kind of player, no matter how good you are, you could be terrible, mm -hmm. that, hey, I'm going to the NFL, I don't care what, every, I'm going, it's a foregone conclusion <laughs> that I'm gonna be playing in the National exactly. Football League, making millions of dollars. And then there's the kind that, don't plan on it. They're just, if people go to the NFL, they're like, whoa, I'm, I'm that good. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Which one of those were you? I think I was in the, I was in, when I first got there, I didn't know because I was like, you know, I had some grades issues. I was in and out a little bit. I was, you know, there were two, uh, two, I was sent home from school on two separate occasions for academic issues. Mm. So the first two years of my whole career, I was like, I don't know. And then because, because I was ineligible, I would be on the scout team all year long. Right. And I was tearing that scout team up. And they would be so upset, like, he's not even supposed to be over here. He's supposed to be on the offensive side of the field. Why is he with us? And they'd be upset, but, but I knew, and, and I think my teammates knew and my coaches knew how good I was, but mm -hmm. I just had to get myself straight. So once I did that, 
uh, my junior year, well, redshirt sophomore year, which is pretty much your junior year, um, I figured it out, picked a, I, I picked a major, I finally raised my GPA above the certain standard, had about a 3.2 at the time, and I got on the field. And then once I got on the field and I had that same feeling that I got in high school, how it, some part, it just came easy. Once I did the work and understood the plays and how a coach wanted me to run this and working with my quarterback, um, it just came, it started coming easy to me. And then once I started to feel that, I was like, I know I play Division One AA. It's not necessarily 1A. I'm not at Syracuse or Rutgers or, you know, Boston College or anything like that. But it's almost too easy here at yeah. this level. And that's when it started to register to me, like, maybe I can take this. So it was like very much at every stage, I was finding out more and more about myself yeah. and then reassuring myself with the confirmation of what I was doing on the field to say, okay, I can continue to do this at, the, at another level. Right, so you're going through the ups and downs of college football and navigating, being out on your own. What advice are you giving him, Ms. Blanco, on adulthood while he's in college? Well, this is after I got my stuff together or before? I was gonna say, I wanna hear the stuff. Wow, it was, let's talk oh, about it's night before. and day, it's night and day. <laughs> so the times that he was sent home from school because of academic issues, I enrolled him in com community college. And so I was working in uh, Flanders, which was about an hour away from where we lived. So I enrolled him at a college that was near to my job. And so he, even though he had like one or two classes, he had to stay there the whole day until I got off work and picked him up. Mm. And so mm -hmm. that's what he had to do. And then other times I enrolled him in, in the P PCC. He went to the, so he went to two community colleges while, while he came home. Mm -hmm. And he also, he also had to work too. So. Even in college, I still kept him busy. Yeah, because she, she was like, you're not just going to be living here no. and yeah. not kicking, kicking back. That's no. what's not going to So happen. I had to go get a job. I mean, it was a fun job. I worked uh, selling clothes, naturally, as <laughs> probably one would assume at this right, point. Right. Um, but I worked selling clothes. I loved it. I made friends. I still have friends from when I worked there. And, and, um, and it's funny because they kind of see me now. It's like, you love clothes that much, huh? <laughs> yep. We see every day on Instagram or out and about. We see how much you love clothes now. Thank you. That's funny. Now, we're just about to get to the branching out moment that changed Victor's life forever. But first. All right, so you get over the hump. You're in college. Mm -hmm. um, is this when you're in college it's kind of where you learn to budget and where you learn about money and scholarship checks are coming in. you have your own bills to pay you have your own food you want to go out with friends is is mom giving you advice here or are you kind of sinking or swimming on your own no i was i was getting some advice obviously mom's was always there but i wasn't it wasn't like i was getting a lot of money i didn't know about those those pal checks or any of that to my junior year because i was <sighs> i was never eligible you missed out so i was like <laughs> i got that check and was like what am i gonna do with this i've been getting my mother and my grandmother would send me twenty dollars in a paper towel in an envelope and mail it to me in college <laughs> like seriously that was my I, mom and i'd be looking forward to that and i'd be like did i get any mail yet i come in there like see and it was literally like a little a she little used to wrap envelope. it up in aluminum foil. Oh, whatever, <laughs> whatever she could just to hide it. And she aluminum didn't want to foil see anybody take wrap that 20. And paper towel. Sometimes I used to get 30. That was a, that was a special. It might have been my birthday week or something <laughs> like that. Um, but like that, like, you know, and, and even with that, I was budgeting that, right? Like, I've got 30 bucks. I'm going to, if I'm going to hang out with my friends, I'm not going to, you know, partake in certain things. I'm going to eat before I go so I don't have to pay for the pizza after, you know, we hang out. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Like, I was budgeting. 30 bucks the same way I would budget, you know, however much money now. So it was, it was uh, definitely a learning curve in college on figuring out 
you know, the whole budgeting system, even with just 30 bucks. All right, so you start the ball out at UMass. You become a star receiver, all-conference, all of that. Um, you're starting to have your, your sights set on the National Football League. You go undrafted, but you get the opportunity to sign with the New York Giants, the hometown squad, mm-hmm, to go to mm-hmm. camp. At that moment, are you like, oh, man, mom, I made it? Or are you still understanding that this could end at any moment? Cause no, it was definitely both. It was a little bit of both. Because it was one like, because I had went to a local pro day with the Giants, and they gave me all this merch, hats. You know, they send you home with like a whole, a whole thing, yep. a whole little swag bag, right? <laughs> so I finally, you know, after the draft, I get the call. I get the call from the guys. They're like, all right, the Giants. You know, my agent calls me, gives me a list of who to choose, who's reached out. And I chose the Giants. And something just gravitated to me. I was like, I got to just try this in my hometown. I think I just had the feeling of, like, if I'm going to have this major opportunity, I want to have this opportunity in my backyard. Right. And at the time, the Giants had Steve Smith, Ramsey's Barton, Hakeem Nix, Mario Manningham, Dominic Hickson, Sonoris Moss. Like, they were stacked at receiver. But I was like, I'm going to go in there confident and give it everything I got. And, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, if it doesn't pan out, I know I gave it every single ounce of blood, sweat, and tears that I can give to this game. And if they're not going to see it, hopefully some other, you know, 31 other teams can see it mm-hmm. and we can, and I'll have my job somewhere. But I need, if I wanted to try it first, I wanted to try in my backyard. You know what? I can remember, and I've told you this story. So mm-hmm. here's, we don't intersect at all, but here's where we intersect. So I was playing in Canada in the Canadian Football League. I played in a small school. I fought tooth and nail to get an opportunity. I did a reality show. And I'm playing in the Canadian Football League, which is not the NFL. We're making like $40,000 a year. And there was a guy, it was my second year, a guy on my team had signed with the Jets in the offseason. And we thought that was the biggest deal that someone made it from Canada to the NFL. Mm-hmm. So it was his first preseason game he was playing, and they were playing the New York Giants. <laughs> So we didn't get very many games in Canada from here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So I was excited about that, and I got to watch my buddy play. So we turned the game on, and we're watching this game. And there's this number three wide receiver. He makes this one-handed catch. He's undrafted. They're like, who is this kid? He goes 64 yards for a touchdown. A couple series later, he goes 45 yards. You end up in the game with six catches, like 150 yards and three touchdowns out of nowhere. And I remember sitting in a dorm room in Montreal, Canada, <laughs> thinking, man, if that kid can come out of UMass undrafted and play like that, maybe there's a chance I, could, I can get a shot. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you when things kind of just took off out of nowhere? That was, that was surreal, man. Because, like, you know, it's one thing to have aspirations to play in the league and get that opportunity and go out there and, and play. And it's another thing to take that shot and risk to do it in your own backyard. Um, with your entire family watching at the game. Um, And for your first catch or your first memorable play or your first play that you could think of ever in the the National Football League is a one-handed touchdown up the left sideline in Giants. I mean, there's no no feeling or word that can describe that emotion. I distinctly remember – scoring the touchdown or, or like catching the ball and I almost tripped like he fell and tried to hit my heel and I tripped and I only thing I'm telling myself is you better not fall <laughs> and I popped up and when I popped up my eyes got big and I was like I'm about to score a touchdown my first catch ever in, in the national football like this is insane and I get in the end zone and I put the ball down I didn't know what to do I like put the ball down 
and I just turned around and I remember everything just going like deaf. And like, I was, I think I was screaming, I might've been screaming, but I heard nothing. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, I just made this football team. Like how, like my life just changed in that, in that moment. I remember and then I just continued to do, you know, more and more. I was, that was my like first week on Twitter mm-hmm. and I was following LeBron James <laughs> and he was tweeting out about this kid from UMass yep. that did incredible. So obviously after a performance like that, you make the team. Miss Blanca, what, what are you thinking? Having gone through what you've gone through, coached him up, been there for him all, every step of the way, and now he's in the National Football League. Wow. It was, it was unbelievable. It was, it was a miracle, because we, we just never expected for Victor to do, to do so well. I mean, he did well in high school and, and in college he played, but after everything we went through, you know, you just don't know what's gonna happen. Right. So. When that happened, I mean, I didn't know he made the team. I mean, he was just trying out still. I don't know, I don't know what was gonna happen. So um, we were very happy and excited and very humbled, you know, by the experience. Everybody was calling, my phone was, you know, ringing off the hook and everybody was calling. And, you know, when he, he actually, you know, made the team and we told everybody, it was, it was exciting and everybody congratulated us. And, you know, we were very happy about it. Incredible. What would you do with your first game check? Um, I gave it to her. The whole thing? <laughs> the whole thing. Signed it right over. Yeah. Signed it right over. I gave it to her and was just like, um, I, I mean, I had never seen that much money in a check before in my life. And I wanted to save it. I wanted to make sure that, like, you know, you always read the athletes go broke thing. Yeah. And you always want to be conscious of that. And I remember opening, it, opening up the check in the locker room because that was like, you know, as a you know how this yeah, I know, especially as a rookie <laughs> or your first year, you're like, ooh, what's that check? Everybody's like, you know, once you see the envelope on your stool, you're like, oh, what's 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 this look like? You know, so you open it up, and I open it, I'm like, they're they're paying me this much to walk, run around a football field, and like, you know, <laughs> really? So I like held it, like hiding it from mind you, Eli's check is like triple mine, but I'm like got this close to the vest, like I can't let anybody see this. So I like tucked it away. I brought it home to my mom, and we we saved it, and we you know, it was the first kind of benchmark we had to like saving and understanding what it was, and I gave it to her because I wanted her to understand, or I wanted I wanted to let her know that I understand how important it is to save money mm-hmm. and how be and how to be conscious of what you're saving and be conscious of the moves that you're making with your money because just as fast as I opened that check and got the money is as fast as it could be gone. Yeah. So I always wanted to make sure that like I had plans and understood what I was doing. So you, so you finally are starting to make a lot of money. As the weeks goes on, the checks pile up. And I remember when I got my first check, I was like, okay, this is good. If I get cut tomorrow, I at least have this. Mm-hmm. And I literally was, in my mind, living check to check. Did you feel like you were financially prepared for the amount of money that was coming in? No shot. I mean, how, there's no way I could be prepared for, for anything like that because, you know, you just, as a kid, you just grow up loving the game. Like, yeah. you just grow up, football is just for the sheer love of the game or any sport for that matter when you're young. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't change when you get older. You still play for the love of the game, but now there's a monetary thing that's behind it. And there's just no way to actually prepare for that mentally because it's just something that you don't think of. You just think about the sheer love of the game. So once I started to get, obviously, all, the, uh, all the, the money that would come in through these checks, I wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing. So I hired a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. I made sure that the money's allotted a certain way. Obviously, some investments come with that. So it, it definitely happened a little later, um, but it was definitely something that I was conscious of and understood that I had to 
make sure I make the best of this because as we know in football, tomorrow isn't promised. Right. So I, I, wanted to make I sure love I how that. your mother was an example to you and you learned by watching her uh, be a good steward of her finances. Even if they were little, she did what she had to do. She budgeted, she saved, she planned. And it's just amazing that just by following her example, once you got to the NFL and you had all this money coming in, following the same steps set you up in a way that even, even players at your stature that made your amount of money aren't set up the way that you are. And it, it's a testament to, to Miss Blanca. When you started bringing that money in, Miss Blanca, what was going through your mind? As you start seeing the checks pile up again, because <laughs> you worked in the bank and this isn't yeah. normal. <laughs> I said, you better leave that money in the bank. Don't start spending it like crazy. But um, he did well. You know, he started investing and putting money away. And, um, you know, he helped with the finances of the house. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a car that had a car payment and he said, Mom, I'm going to pay your car off so you don't have that car payment. And, um, you know, and, and then everything got got okay everything was great with us as long as you know he he stayed focused and you know we never we never got crazy with the money or anything remember the hardest part for for my mom was me retiring her right because mm-hmm. and when i did so it was kind of like in a little bit of desperation because our grand my grandmother her mother was very ill right uh-huh. and she was bedridden and my mother would obviously have to take off of work to go and tend to her and be there for her and in turn, I think once you miss an allotted amount of time, her job was like, hey, look, either you got to come back or we got to let you go. And this was, I was in, it was after my first year where yeah. after that catch, I had tore my hamstring. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I was on IR the rest of yep. that year. I came back the next year, but it was in that year where I was like, you know what, Ma? Don't worry about that job. I got us. I'm put all the eggs in our basket, and I'm and I'm gonna hold it down. And she was like, "What?" <laughs> she was like, "Are you serious? Like, are you really? Are you sure? No, I'm not doing this. I'm gonna go back to. I'm gonna figure this out." I'm like, "Mom, I got you." And then we won the Super Bowl the next year. <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> crazy. Like you can't that pressure that you put on yourself though. It does I, bring the I best. I think values. I did. But, I mean, with that, and then like my daughter being born that same mm-hmm. year. I just think, you know, even now thinking about it, I think there was just pressure that was put on me in so many different angles that I didn't even really think about. I was just so caught up in just trying to be the best version of myself. Right. But those things definitely were weighing on me and and definitely played a heavy burden in the things that I was accomplishing and my drive, uh, especially that year specifically. My drive was, like, different that year, and I think it was because of you know, the things that happened within my family. Right. And you win the Super Bowl. How does that change life? How does that change finances? How does that change life for you, Miss Blanca? Because that's when you kind of catapult into, like, superstardom. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, after the Super Bowl, and obviously to be able to score a touchdown in the game and and do the salsa in the Super Bowl is Mm -hmm. like – you know, a friend of mine that I played with, Dominic Hickson, was always like, do things in the league that they can't take away from you. Mm. you no, know, in this game, they can take a lot of things away from you. They can take away your job. They can take away your salary. They can, especially in the league, they can take away all these things. But they can never take away every year when it's Super Bowl time and they do the marathon of all the games. You're going to have to show me. You're going to have to show my team. You're going to have to show my end zone dance. And you're going to every single year for the rest of my life, as long as the Super Bowl is being played, <laughs> They're going to show that. So it's like, you know, I've always wanted to do things that can't be, that couldn't be taken away from me. Right. And I think that was one of the biggest things that kept me going. But after the Super Bowl, 
um, things definitely changed. I mean, obviously I signed a large contract after that and it was just a moment in time that was very surreal and just realizing that I've, you know, I'm in a position now to take care of my family in a ways that I never imagined. And I wanna make sure that I can not only do that for right now in the moment that we stand in today, but I wanna do it for my child's children. Mm-hmm. And I wanna make sure that somehow, some way I can set them up for success financially and then they can, they can understand how it works and reciprocate that to their children. And, and then the cycle just continues on from there. So it was definitely, uh, it was definitely different. Um, and, and it was just, it was a fun time to be a part of, obviously, the good, both the good and the bad. But winning in the Super Bowl and, you know, my life changing after that was definitely one of the highlights of my, of my life. For was, was this the time when you started to really kind of branch out off the field stuff? Because, again, you became a superstar and you started to do the fashion line, the signature sneakers, the, you know, in all, every magazine, everywhere you look, you see Victor Cruz. Was that just happening or were you consciously saying, like, I'm trying to maximize and set myself up for when I'm done? No, it it was a little of both. It was like things were coming at us, obviously, and I also wanted to take advantage of some of these things, obviously understanding that, you know, I'm in the New York market. I'm from here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I understand this this market. People resonate with my story. So I wanted to take advantage of all of that, and, and, and what better way than to take advantage of the marketing opportunities that come about, right. especially in the tri-state area, and, uh, and, and, and just take advantage of those things, and just make sure I do things that were fun. I just wanted to do things that spoke to me, that were fun, that I dreamed about doing, like doing a sneaker with Nike, my own silhouette, designing it with the designers in the room, and going to it from its origin all the way to the release date. Like, that's something you, I only dreamed about doing. So the fact that I got to do that in multiple colorways, and then I got to do it again with Nike, and then I got to branch off and do my first luxury line, like, you know, a couple months ago. Like, that, those things are just, like, fun things that I'm interested in doing that if I didn't submit myself in those things earlier, like post-Super Bowl, those opportunities probably wouldn't come about now. Right, right. And that's very true. As you know, this series is called Branching Out because our guests have gone on and done extraordinary, unexpected things after their sports careers. But they've all had defining moments in their lives where just one thing going differently would have changed everything. And for both Victor and his mother Blanca, that defining branching out moment came when he got his first serious injury. So you go on, you are a staple in Giants football in the the city and state of New York and the NFL. Um, and you get your first serious injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is in, in football, they say it's a 100% injury rate. That means if you play the game of football, you crazy are when you think going to get hurt and bad. It's just a part of it. That's why these GMs are like, we're not giving them no money. Like, they're going <laughs> to yeah. have to earn this. 100% is, is, is hard to argue. So you get hurt. How does this change your thought process? It changed everything, honestly. It just... Um, it helped me appreciate, I mean, I've always obviously appreciated the game. I understood how lucky I was to be in that position, right? To play for that team in my backyard, family can watch eight games out of the year. Like I understood that, I always appreciated the game. But when you get injured and you feel like, you know, you're not an athlete or you feel like, at least in that moment, you're like, man, I can't, I can't do any of the things that I would love to do right now mobily because mm-hmm. of my injury. And also your psyche, you start to, 
you start to listen to your inner voice more because obviously you got time to do so and you're sitting there and you're going through your process and you're like, am I ever going to come back again? Am I ever going to be the same? Wow, I woke up, my legs really swollen today more than yesterday. Like, is this good or bad? And then you start thinking three years later, like, you know, what am I going to be doing three years from now if I'm not in the league? You just start to process and think about all these different scenarios, you know, when you're, when you're bedridden with your leg up in a sling. You yeah. know what I mean? So it definitely changed the way I approached the game, the respect level I have for the game, and just respecting other people's injuries, right? When you see others go down and you see the types of injuries they have and being empathetic to that and being like, yo, I know what you're going through, going up to them in the training room and just talking to them for a minute. I know how big that was for me when other guys would come and talk to me for a minute. So, like, you know, that injury, especially the, the you know, the, the major injury really took a toll on my psyche and, yeah. and, and the person I was and who I was becoming because of it. Here, here's where me and Blanca have something in common. I have an older brother who also played in the NFL. And I tell everyone this. They ask me about, oh, what was it like to play in the NFL? And I say it wasn't nearly as fun as when my brother played. And also – it didn't hurt as nearly as bad as when he did bad. When my brother would get play bad or when he got seriously injured, I would go through that with him like on a daily basis. So for you, Miss Blanca, what was that like seeing Vic get hurt and what advice did you give him try, knowing that you're along for that ride with him? Right. It was, uh, it was a tough time. It was a tough time. Um, I was watching the game at home because I believe it happened in Philly, right? Correct. It happened in Philly and I was home and when it happened, I was like, oh God, please, no, don't let it be serious. Don't let it be serious. But, but it looked very serious. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it, it, I didn't sleep that whole night. That whole night I didn't sleep. So the next day I immediately, I spoke with Bree and she told me everything that was going on and he was having surgery right away. It's like the next day you had surgery. So mm -hmm. we were right at the hospital with him and, um, I just stayed close to him doing all the time and just let him know that I'm going to be there, you know, with him, for him, through whatever, whatever he goes through. A lot yeah. of home cooking. Yeah, yeah. A lot yeah, of home, cooking. Yeah, home, home cooking, man. Just being home. We just did a, we stayed Nothing home a like lot. like good Puerto Rican food, other than the pounds that I gained. <laughs> but other than <laughs> everything that, else was great. everything else was fantastic. But, I mean, it it's was, really a triumph. We had a, a lot of family though. support. Everybody yeah, would come everybody over to the house. Over. We would, we would all be at the I'd house. i be looking around like, man, this is what I, I got to get hurt for y'all to come by the house. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is what we do. Just to play some spades, I got to have my leg up in the sling. You got to start faking it. Exactly. But it's, it's really a triumph score because you battle back mm -hmm. um, and faces like what seemed like insurmountable odds to play in a big way for the New York Giants. But as you know, the business side, mm -hmm. the politics start to come in. So exactly. me and you would work out in the offseason. Mm -hmm. You were just as good then as before the injury. But what happens is... As you get older or as teams start to say, oh, okay, he's finally got that 100% injury thing happening, mm -hmm. it's time for us to start looking elsewhere. What was that like for you to feel it kind of the dynamic changing as a professional athlete? I think I was, I was always very real with myself. Even coming into the league, like I knew I wasn't 6'5", 215, 4'3". Like I knew what I was. Mm -hmm. So as I got older and I, obviously after the injury and I, obviously coming back from that, and understanding, like, you know, how this team was forming. Obviously, like, they drafted Sterling Shepard, and obviously Odell was there. Mm -hmm. I was a third receiver. You know, I kind of saw how it was kind of right. shaping out. So I'm, like, real. I'm, like, okay, I know, okay, this is probably my last year here. Like, I understood yeah. how it all worked. Right. You know what I mean? So I was very real. So when they cut me, when they brought me in the office and let me go, 
I understood that and, and I understood what was going on and I said to them, well, I just want to thank you guys for, for this entire opportunity, especially coming back from an injury and letting me come back and proving myself again. Right. Because most guys don't even get that, as you know. Most Very guys, true. they get injured, you never, you know, they end up getting a severance package and we never see them again. So mm -hmm. the fact that they allowed me to come back and, you know, obviously that first game back of that year, scoring the game winning touchdown against the Dallas Cowboys was like, that was Your childhood the team. Uh, yeah, exactly. On, on the on, in Dallas, too, in Dallas. Um, so that was definitely the highlight of my return story for sure. That's amazing. So they they release you. Is this was this the first time you started to like really sense the football is a business one hundred percent? Because I mean, Victor Cruz is synonymous with Giants football. Mm -hmm. Like the the amount of time and effort you put in there. And for a lot of us in the league, it's, this, it's the same story, but it is very much a business at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's when I understood it. And, and then you don't really get it until you go into another front office and have meetings with their GMs and their owners and their coaches and just see how different it is and how different you're treated and spoken to when you're in these different rooms. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's when I learned how much of a business this is and how it works. And then even when I went through that training camp and then when they let me go and I was like, Okay, now I really get how this works because right. sometimes it's, you know, it's not about, um, you know, it, it just comes down to politics sometimes. It comes down to who you know and, and how teams want to be formed and how that works to the bottom line of the team in terms of, you know, financials and salaries. There's just so many moving parts that go into certain things, uh, especially when creating a football team that I didn't know before or that I didn't really care to know until now until right. it, i was being put through it you know what i mean so at this stage you're like okay you're having to make the decision to retire which is a tough decision i always tell people sports if you're an athlete is a marriage that is guaranteed to end in divorce mm -hmm. <laughs> it ends for everyone at some point but that does not make the decision any less hard what was your mindset and did you feel like you were financially set up um, to make that decision? Well, yeah, I think I was financially set up to make that decision, but more so, I, it, I, wasn't, I wasn't necessarily financially set up to just be like, all right, I don't have to work anymore. I can just live on you know, what I have and make mm -hmm. it happen. I still had to create a, uh, continue to create income for myself and create a living for myself because my seven-year-old daughter, Kennedy, isn't getting any smaller. Right. She's only going this way. And it's more expensive. And it gets the more, more expensive the more vertical that they grow. <laughs> so, um, so I understood that. And then as I'm – so uh, that year that I was gone and I was kind of in and out and I was still kind of talking to teams and trying mm -hmm. to figure it out, I was doing other things to kind of make sure that I was still getting, creating some revenue but still being ready in case my phone number is called mm -hmm. to go back to the NFL. And I think with that, it was like, okay – I got to work. I got to create some more income for myself because time is ticking and the phone isn't ringing. Right. So I was like, well, I have, to make a, I have to make a decision to go to the next step, take the next step in my career. And that's not easy, man. Obviously, like, football was everything for me. It was, uh, you know, it was everything I wanted it to be. It was, and I didn't want that to end. I felt, right. obviously, as, you know, I was 30 years old at the time, I, I, didn't, I felt like I was definitely still had more to give to the game. So it was tough to kind of hang them up. But I had to look back and be like, well, I got to create some income for myself and do all those things that I was doing off the field and just do them in a larger way now because I have more time. Right. And I kind of bet on that. I kind of just bet on the fact that I can do these things off the field and have fun with it and create revenue with, with it that way 
to make it feel okay yeah. to say, okay, I'm ready to retire and turn the page and go to my next, yeah. uh, my next career path. And you were very busy. So for Ms. Blanca, I mean, when he's making the decision to retire, like that's an adjustment, not just for Vic, it's an adjustment for the entire family. Even I, I told my wife, like, hey, you're not going to be married to a professional football player anymore. <laughs> you, don't, you can't walk around with your chest hang out. Like, life is going to change a little bit for us. <laughs> was it an adjustment for you and the rest of the family as well? Well, it was, it, was, it was a bit of an adjustment because I know how much he loved the game, and I know it, it wasn't easy for him to, to make the decision to retire. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, know, you know, he talked to me a lot about it, and he went back and forth with it, and I could tell he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to make the decision, but I guess he figured, you know, the more he thought about it, he more, the more he talked about it and saw how things were, he had to make the decision, but... Um, I could have gone either way for me. I just know that I, I didn't have to go to the games anymore. I have a knot in my stomach. <laughs> Every game I had a knot in my stomach. And at the end of the game, it was like, oh, okay, he didn't get hurt, so I'm good. That's amazing. But, um, but whatever decision he makes, you know, I'm fine with it. I, you know, I'm glad that I always kept him busy because even after football, he's always busy. And yeah. that was my goal from the beginning, from, from the time he started playing sports, to always keep him busy. So it worked out because today he's he's still busy all Booked the time. Busy. It's to the point all where I can't not be. I have to do something. Like but I, that's a good. I mean, busy is better than bored. Like that's an opportunity. A lot of athletes don't have busy. They don't have those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what makes you kind of the perfect example of branching out. You know, because you're taking advantage of all of these. Now talk about like what you're doing now. The Pierre Hardy sneaker. The ESPN kind of let everybody know and then also what your next move so we can all take notes and be on the lookout. Um, well, yeah, right now I'm, a, I'm an analyst with ESPN. Um, I'm enjoying that very much. It's getting very, very, uh, the more Odell questions I get, the harder it becomes to answer <laughs> those questions, but I'm working through it, guys, I promise. He's a Cleveland Brown now, so I'm happy to. Can I redirect all my I was going to say, re- to I'm happy to talk about him. I'm going to be on the show. And be we like, didn't I'm have anything call, good to this talk about. Odell question, I'm going to call Hawk. Give me one second. Um, but, but doing that has been fun. I've been learning on the fly and learning more and more as the days go on there. I Obviously, Pierre Hardy, uh, I just did a recent footwear collaboration with luxury brand Pierre Hardy that did very well. And. Hopefully, we'll be doing more of those with Pierre Hardy. Um, and obviously, from the, the philanthropic efforts, continuing to do things with the great people at Uninterrupted, as well as J.P. Morgan Chase, um, and, and, and all those things, as well as doing things with my own foundation, uh, the Victor Cruz Foundation, uh, which is geared towards STEM education, which is science, technology, engineering, and math, and having those programs um, run through the Boys and Girls Club starting with the one in Patterson, New Jersey, my hometown club. I see you clapping <laughs> over there. Um, uh, starting with Patterson, New Jersey, my hometown club, and branching out to others, as many, as many boys and girls clubs, as many kids that we can reach out to, uh, we will. Um, what else am I doing? I'm also a father to seven-year-old Kennedy that I mentioned before. She keeps me very, very busy with soccer and camp and all golf. the other things, and golf that she likes to do. And, um, and then, yeah, man, and then in the future, I want to continue to do more of that. I want to branch out more and do more acting and trying to get it, you know, mm-hmm. break into that world. And then, um, and obviously do more. I've gotten some opportunity to do some more hosting um, opportunities. So I want to take advantage of those things. Um, and then just continue to branch out and do things. Well, pun intended, I guess. I like that. Keep it going. You see, I, 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 I like just the flow. Pro, man. Um, but just continue to branch out and do different things that are 
kind of within my realm and within the world that I want to be in, but challenge myself too. And, mm-hmm. and I think creating that challenge for myself keeps me enthused and energized to just keep doing more and more things uh, as the days progress. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, we're going to end with a couple rapid fire questions okay. here. Um, number one, what, what advice would you give to little Vic? If you, oh, if, you, if you could talk to the little version of Vic, what would you tell him? Little Vic was a different cat, man, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> if I could talk to little Vic, I would tell him um, to just always have a plan. I, I, I think there were certain times in my life growing up, even as a kid, that I didn't have a plan. I was just kind of taking every day as it comes and feeling like I had to just live in the moment, which you do, but there comes a time when you got to start creating a little mental plan for yourself, yeah. you know, uh, as you become, I can think like kind of high school years and things like that. You kind of start, got to start creating kind of a template of, of what you want to be, how you want to shape this thing out. So I would tell Little Vic to create a plan and try to stick to that plan. And you might go left and right, but that plan will always, don't, don't ever let that plan go astray. Always okay. stay on that path. You might get off that path here and there, but as long as you understand what the end goal is, you'll get right back on that path at some point. Amazing. For you, Ms. Blanca, would you do anything differently? Just make more food while I was, while, I, <laughs> while my leg was up, probably. Um, <laughs> nothing, because basically everything I've taught him, you know, he pretty much did well. Um, anything different I would do is like, I would just, when he was working, I would tell him, he, he always, to teach him responsibility, I, he always had to come home and bring and bring money he had to give me money if he got a check he had to give me money that was teaching him that you always have you're always going to have a bill you're always going to have to pay rent so I told him whenever you get paid you have to you have to bring me money so he would if I wasn't home I would tell him to leave it on the table but what I would do different would be probably just leave a deposit ticket and just have him go to the bank and deposit it maybe that would do different (laughs) (laughs) so he would go to the bank Mm -hmm. last question for you Vic what is your version of a Super Bowl win now oh my version of a Super Bowl win now um my version of a Super Bowl win now to be to to be a lead to play a lead role in a Hollywood film Mm. all right well I'm not going to count you out you've defied every odd (laughs) you've ever faced um, really seriously, I appreciate you guys joining me. Incredible story. Ms. Blanca, your preparation, your planning, your example you set for Vic has set him up to build this bl- blueprint of success that he's sitting on now. And it really is a testament to you, you guys' entire family, and we're looking forward to everything to come. Please give Thank Ms. You. Blanca and Victor Cruz a hand. <laughs> and that's a wrap on this episode of Branching Out, a special edition of Needing Dough, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. This season, we'll be releasing episodes once a week, so make sure you keep an eye out for the next one. If you haven't done it yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. There's no need to drop any coin. It's free. It helps others find the show, and that way, you'll never miss an episode. Thanks to our partners in this show, Chase. Head over to chase.com student. Here to help you manage your money today and tomorrow. Our executive producers are myself, T.D. St. Matthew Daniel, and Ben Adair. And I'm Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk, telling you what a wise man always told me. A penny saved is a penny earned.